Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Pedersen Makes a Podcast Podcast. I'm your host, Life Pedersen. Today we are going to dive into the mysterious art of burlesque performance. It's not really that mysterious, I just didn't know much about it before we got started. And the person providing the enlightenment on this topic is a friend of mine, Anne-Marie Dooling, who has been performing vaudeville on the East Coast for two years, which in later in the episode, you'll hear her refer to herself as a pup in the burlesque industry after only two years. And I find that endearing since people these days consider themselves experts on many subjects after only three months. So good to know that a few people are still clinging to reality and reason. We covered a lot of territory in this interview, so let's get right into it. Anne-Marie, hello. Thank you for being uh, on the podcast on this dreary Sunday morning. Hello. Good morning. Where are you calling in from today? Uh, I am calling in from my house in uh, Center City, Philadelphia. Ah, uh, yes. Nice. You sort of you relocated somewhat recently, right? Within the last year or two? Sort of. I, I split time. Um, I still work oh. and uh, my family's in New York, so I'm up taking care of them. Um, but yeah, I, my home is um, in Philly, a beautiful house near the water, right near I've, the Liberty Bell. I've seen your Instagram. It is a gorgeous house. You, uh, you're, uh, I'm, I'm wretchedly jealous. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> uh, I, I have a, I have a nondescript condo in downtown Minneapolis. So it's nothing, <laughs> nothing like yours. I think um, everyone should move to Philly. Totally oh, really? unbiased, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I've uh, I've been there once as a work trip in the 90s. Something tells me it's different now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll give it, a, I'll give it another try. So um, I have you on today because you have not uh, – well, how long have you been doing burlesque? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say about two years now, two and a half years, That's, I'd Okay, say. so newish. I wouldn't say new, but newish. No, and, very new. Um, I mean, most people who – who succeed in this field have been doing this for like 20 years. So um, I would say I am a pup. Oh, well, um, for those of us uh, who have not been or have only been to a few, can you just sort of give us like a general description of what uh, burlesque entails? Sure. Yeah. So burlesque um, is uh, very different from stripping. And that's the first thing right. that I, I love to point out. Um burlesque is sort of um it's like creating a mini act you are creating sort of a, a scenario of who a character is why they would be taking their clothes off um and really having a close connection to some audio component so that might be music it might be a spoken word um and of course a, a deep connection to the audience um and the reason that i say it's very different from stripping is not necessarily in the content but um, just being a stripper or being called a stripper has a different social connotation. Right. Um, and saying burlesque is something completely different. And when you do burlesque, you have a little bit of the privilege of not being treated the way someone who is a sex worker would be treated. Mm -hmm. um, so I always just love to point that out because it's so funny. It's just a wording difference, but it really gets to the core of a lot of um, societal bias. And um, I've only been to a couple um, or seen a few um, at places where I was not expecting to see them. But, I mean, you're not actually getting completely naked. You're just nearly naked, right? That's correct. Yeah, you can't. There's a lot of rules and laws around that. Um, so you, in most places, you are going down to um, a G-string or a Merkin or some kind of bottom covering and pasties. There are some topless bars um, where you are allowed to 
be without pasties. There are some clubs that are completely nude. Um, Hellfire Club that I know is doing a virtual show next week. Um, they are a completely nude club in New York. So there are variations in rules, but for most venues, you really are getting down to um, some, some kind of small covering uh, in the obvious areas. Okay, so um, there's, I mean, there's a performance aspect to anything that happens on stage, but uh, burlesque is, um, in, in my experience, and, and you'll have to tell me if I'm wrong, it's just, it's, there is a lot more work and uh, as you described earlier, there's there's character and connection and um, I don't know, motivation. What how just walk me through how that goes. I mean, you, you I assume you're having to, uh, at least on occasion, work on new um, routines and then practice them. How does how does that work? Oh, yeah, for weeks. Um, so there is a um, great teacher out of New York named Jezebel Express who always said, you know, why is your character taking their clothes off? Is it um, something as silly as like you're a Christmas tree and Christmas is over and you're shedding the ornaments? Is it like it's very hot and your character is going to the beach? What's the story and the motivation? Um, and then there's another great teacher she works with, Joe Weldon, and Joe really connects you to the audio. Um, so I think those two aspects together are really important to just a really solid burlesque act. And of course, there are numerous people who can pull off a fantastic act where you are just taking your clothes off and, and the audience is rapture. But um, for the most part, I think the best acts are things where there is some kind of story, a little bit of humor, um, some kind of amazing prop or some kind of really good costume detail that just tells a really deep story. Um, for example, uh, Francine the Lucid Dream has a fantastic act where she's Julia Child and just trying to cook this turkey and it's not going well and like more clothes are coming off as it gets hotter. Um, there's another performer out of Coney Island, Little Brooklyn, and she does an act that, uh, I mean, I'm so jealous. Every time I have to carry all of my enormous props, I get so jealous because her act is simply... Uh, she's got a video on an iPad of body parts, nude body parts, and she just runs the iPad up and down her body timed to where it is uh, as she's moving it. And that it is looks brilliant. Yeah, it looks as if she's stripping uh, and she's not doing a single thing. And, you know, I'm lugging around like pots and balloons and leaf blowers and <laughs> and all this junk. And she just walks up with an iPad. So, um they're really the best acts, like I said, really have this amazing story component and something a little bit surprising to them. So it does take you a while to create that kind of act. Um, it's almost akin to when you're acting and you're thinking of who is the character, what's their motivation, who are they? Um, I, I try to put together a little a little document like that and think, why would they be doing this? Why are they wearing this? Where are they going on the stage? How are they interacting with the audience? Um, and then putting the pieces together from that. Yes, very much like putting together or blocking a, a play. Exactly. Um, I, I got ahead of us or ourselves. I got ahead of myself. I, I want to back up and just ask what drew you to it or how you got into it. So I uh, am a journalist. And back a few years ago, I had worked uh, with Vox.com. And we were doing videos on people who had amazing style, just fantastic personal style. 
and we ended up doing a video on a performer named Jin Minsky. And she is phenomenal. She is a tap dancer and very, very sort of uh, turn of the century, um, a little bit Gatsby-ish, um, which is, you know, Art Deco is huge in New York. And she does these great acts where she is stripping and tap dancing. And we did a whole video series with her um, that culminated in like this five minute uh, Facebook video that, you know, just went totally viral. And we got to be inside of her house. We got to see her, her uh, performance, um, how she builds it, um, her props, her sort of staging area at home where she had this like fold out tap dancing floor that she could practice on. Um, and it really just made me fall completely in love with it. I mean, she was creating these huge performances packed into four minutes. Uh, and it was just amazing to watch her and all the creativity. And of course, working in the news, I don't have a lot of options to be super creative. There's facts and there's not facts. Yeah. And that's sort of like the extent <laughs> of my job. Um, so being able to like pull out a boa or tap dancing shoes at the end of the day is a great outlet for that. So um, what? How, where, how did you transition from this is really cool to I'm going to do this? So there are some classes uh, in New York. There's the New York School of Burlesque and they do a very, very simple or they did, I guess, a very simple Thursday evening class. It's just an hour and you learn very simple techniques like how to stand on a stage, um, how to walk on a stage, how to remove a glove, very, very simple elements of burlesque. And then at the end of that class, if you choose to, you can do their showcase that they have um, every few months at uh, a bar called Drum on the Lower East Side. And I did the class once just sort of as like a thing to do after work, um, didn't think too much of it. And then by the second time I was like, okay, I think I want to, you know, do the performance element on stage. And of course it's like baby burlesque. So you're not even taking anything off. You take off a glove and I think you move a boa around a little bit, <laughs> but you do construct your own costume and you're like in a group. And I just remember being like so terrified to be on stage removing a glove in front of like not even that like 40 people like really not even that many people um, but it gave me a little bit of confidence because if you can remove your clothes on stage you can command attention in a meeting you can get a document done you can speak to your <laughs> editor-in-chief like there's really nothing you can't do after taking your clothes off in front of you know 100 people you don't know that's like a double whammy of nightmares, naked and on stage. With a spotlight shining on you. And yes. remember, I need glasses, right? Like I cannot see without glasses and I don't wear contacts. So I actually take my glasses off immediately before going on stage. I usually leave them backstage. There's always some kind of like drum for some reason or like a shelf. And then I go on stage and I cannot see anything. I cannot see the audience. I cannot see my props unless I know sort of where they are. Um, so it's, I, I wonder if that helps or actually hurts because I really mm. can't see whatever I'm doing at all. 
Well, in in my experience on stage, fully clothed, <laughs> um, <laughs> usually the lights, uh, you can usually see the first couple of rows and then beyond that, it's just void. So, yeah. Um, doesn't make it any easier or more difficult, but uh, that's the way it is. So, um, so you, you got through the stage, uh, the, through the class, you got through the the showcase, um, and you the was was that the the aha moment right there, or did you need any more convincing, or what happened? No, I think that was kind of it. Um, you know, I'm I'm a little competitive, and immediately after the showcase, I'd heard that fellow. Uh, I guess colleagues who were in the showcase were booking solo performances, and I was like, "Wait, what? what? Yeah, I got out of <laughs> toddler burlesque school. Are you kidding?" Yeah, I mean, it just clicked. Well, I think, I, I mean, there's there's some elements to this, right? Like, if you are just a naturally gorgeous person, people are going to want to book you to take your clothes off off stage. The rest of us, I think, need to be mm-hmm. like a little interesting or funny. So it didn't even occur to me to think further than that group performance. And once I saw that people were like booking solo performances, I was like, oh, no, I have to do this. So I started taking um, act performance, um, act creation classes to think about how to piece those pieces together of doing a solo act, how you're, you know, uh, interacting with the audience, how you are building your own costume um, how you're picking your music um, and all those pieces together. And then I ended up taking a master class in Coney Island, which even if you are not into burlesque, you're just into performing. When these classes start again, I recommend them to everyone. It is a magic experience. You are oh. taking this class in the Coney Island Museum after hours among the old bumper cars and old costumes and like on the freak show stage it's really magical and you get to hear from some of the absolute best uh like dirty martini comes and does a tassel twirling class with you she performs with dita von Tees. um tigger who's one of the most amazing boylesque performers he will teach you just about self-confidence on stage so it's not, you know, so much like here's here's how to hold your body, here's how to take off a boa, but it's really these elements of how to command audience attention and how to sort of manipulate your audience a little bit into what you how you want them to feel, which I don't think is actually that different from what I do in my day job with audience development. So it it like hit home for me um that there was this aspect of this performance that you could just make people feel a certain way um and for me there's nothing better than like a surprise and delight element my acts are not very sexy i'll be the first person to say that like i will not be at the hellfire club anytime soon but um my acts are fun um i have funny props and i have uh magic elements and now thanks to you i have juggling elements so my acts are like a little bit of whimsy <laughs> ah, whimsy. I like that. That word doesn't get used often enough. Um, so you had never done anything on stage at all before. This was just you, as an adult, you've done the deep end. No, I. Well, I. I mean, that's tough to say. I did acting as a child. I was in like a local performance of Annie and like oh. that kind of stuff. I did theater camp as like an eight-year-old. Um, And then I actually went to the high school of performing arts um, and left immediately. No, it was not fun for me. I hated singing in class in front of people. 
I hated acting in front of people. I am very much a behind the scenes person. That's sort of why I like my job. Like I never in a million years wanted to be the in front of the camera person. I like building the props. I like stage managing. I was a stage manager in college to make some money. That's really where I find myself thriving. So even to this day, performing for three years, when I have to get on stage, there is quite a bit of like pumping myself up and like remembering the the steps and like a little more choreography than someone who's not as afraid. Um, but it's still, even though I, I had a little bit of training, it's still a terrifying experience every time I do it. And I think that's part of the fun of it too. Well, there was decades in between, you know, and as a kid, I mean, you can't, it's, it's difficult to, you know, transition ch mm -hmm. childhood experiences to, I wouldn't, you know, I, I was juggling on stage as a kid, but I wouldn't say that, you know, that's where, anyway, my, my development did not begin until my twenties. And then, and then right. shortly thereafter, I decided it was not for me, but it's fine. Um, but you'd also done like public speaking. I mean, I've seen you speak at conferences. So you, you'd already done a little bit adults in front of large groups of people, you know, not performing, but being in front of large groups of people. Yeah. But I kind of hate that too. I do it. Um, but I am extremely shy uh, very much a behind the scenes person. And I do that kind of stuff to further my career um, or because I feel like it will um, get out an idea that I, I want to share. Um, but it's really funny. I'm leading an enormous project at work right now with um, quite a bit of people who in my job are important. Um, so, you know, if there's people in your job that are important, it's, you know, you become a little bit nervous and I'm doing these weekly workshops with them. And my boss sent me a message the other day. She's like, you are really good at commanding a crowd. Like these are seriously important people in news media and you've got them brainstorming and talking and you're really good at that. And it occurred to me that it's only because of burlesque that I'm good at that. I, you know, I, I create the same sort of, um, uh, roadmaps for these meetings that I do for a burlesque show. So yeah. I, that's why I kind of recommend to, to everyone when they're like, Oh, that's so much fun. Take one class because you will feel so much better about your appearance, your like physical appearance on stage, how you're holding yourself, how you're commanding people, because there is so much performance aspect to it. And there's so much performance aspects in all of our lives it's really improved that part of my life. Well, I just wanted to, I, I just f had a memory flash and then I don't know why while you were talking about, um, you know, public <laughs> speaking and, and being terrified. I think it was like the first or second TBEX I attended, you and Jody Ettenberg, uh, she of the Legal Nomads blog, uh, travel blog, um, you guys ran a, um, I guess it was a session or, 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 yeah, or something, but it was absolutely bonkers the room was stuffed to overflowing i you know was only five minutes early and i couldn't get in the door <laughs> uh but i did i wedged myself in because you know i wanted to see it and and the two of you were in there just like the sea of people like right up on top of you and both of you looked terrified <laughs> i mean from my perspective no one wants to be next to the the beautiful brilliant Jody Ettenberg. I feel like <laughs> the troll okay. of that meeting, um, a former lawyer and like the most beautiful person you've ever seen. 
but um, yeah, I mean, you can you can tell um, from a few years ago even to now that I um, I don't have the fear anymore because if I'm doing public speaking, at least my clothes are on. Right. Well, and and I don't know how she feels about it now, but back in the day, she was very candid about her stage fright. And uh, so the two of you together, I was just like, oh my God, this is this is terrible. And I couldn't even. That, that I was I was pressed up against the door and it was you know constantly opening and closing because other people were trying to squeeze in and I I actually had to leave it was just too crowded in there I'm not a crowd person so <laughs> I don't know why I remember that but it, it just came to my mind as you were describing your your shyness before um, so okay uh, how would you compare I mean burlesque is is a different animal completely but you just described how it's helped you and your confidence in at work and and leading a group and stuff like that and there are lots of other disciplines that that kind of that advertise that like mm -hmm. improv classes and um you know there's the toastmasters or whatever i don't know if that's still a thing it was back in mm -hmm. the 90s when i was last a, an office person um any is it comparable at all um because you're naked me. almost so i mean i feel like it's on it's next level but i, I want to it is next level and not just because you're naked but because you you've created an act so you are the master of that act. It's not like you have a set. It's it's kind of like improv in the way that anything can go wrong at any time and you need to have a contingency plan. Um, I have an act with, um, it's just a bubble. It's this huge bubble and that's most of the act. And I take off only one piece of clothing. It's a robe while the bubble's in the air. So I've got maybe five seconds at most to untie, unlatch, and almost attractively as much as I can, uh -huh. like disrobe before catching this bubble. Attractively I, in a hurry. Exactly. <laughs> like take a deep breath and like try to, you know, be alluring and taking this piece of cloth off, but also hurry up. Um, <laughs> and so there has been a time when the knot has gotten stuck on that damn robe. Um, and now, you know, I know that there's things you can do about that. There's different types of fabrics you want to use that don't stick. Um, there's different types of latches that are much easier. A lot of what you see in burlesque is Velcro, um, mm -hmm. because that's just very quick to take off, um, or like zippers that are just easy to tear if something happens, if something goes awry. Um, but yeah, it's happened many times that like something has gone wrong and I've had to just very quickly come up with a contingency plan like just pulling the robe off me making it look like that was the plan all along here to pull the robe off myself um or like I have a I have a friend Daisy Desnuda who does this fantastic Santeria act and the whole thing hinges on her being able to take off um a, a robe very quickly to um to dance with it and i remember in one show i saw her she could not get the robe off and so she turned and i know the act because you know i've seen it a million times the audience hasn't and she managed to turn the act into like a three minute long improv of writhing around sexily on the floor just getting out of the robe and no one knew the difference like no one knows the difference at all except for those of us that have seen it, but it was still beautiful and, um, and definitely interesting to watch. So there's a little bit of that aspect where you're like, okay, everything can go wrong at any minute. I need to know the music because I need to know the finishing cues. 
I need to have an idea of where I should be. Um, but I also need to be prepared and confident enough that if something goes wrong, I can make it not apparent to the audience. And I think that's one of the things that helps me the most is like that quick pivoting. Like if something goes wrong, I'm like, okay, let's do this instead. Um, because that's, that's, you know, very much an element of that. What is your burlesque name? Uh, it's Anna Bellini. Anna uh, yeah, so I took my cues, like I said, my acts are very um, cheeky and vaudevillian, and I take a lot of my cues from the Rat Pack. Um, so Dean Martin's oh. original performer name was Dino Martini, uh, and he changed it because someone told him it was too ethnic. Um, so I <laughs> imagine Dean Martin being too ethnic, someone telling him that at that period. Um but yeah, I sort of took my cues from that. Um, and the other reason I wanted to stick with my my first name is that someone had told me that it was a good idea to make new social media accounts for your burlesque following. And I could not think of anything worse than maintaining new social media accounts. <laughs> it seemed, I was like, yeah. I'm going to quit burlesque if I have to do that. Um, so I'm I'm able to post a little bit on my regular accounts. My job doesn't like it. There's been many times when I've been asked to take things down that they consider crude. Yeah. So that's a little bit of an issue. And there's quite a few people in burlesque who have day jobs who have had to really make some concessions or make extra accounts or be really quiet about it. Um, Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, I've got to be a little bit quiet about what I'm doing after work hours. Yeah, that I mean, that's I mean, your your experience, I mean, obviously is is unique, but that just seems to be a thing now that you never used to have to think about. You have to, no matter where you work, well, I guess it does matter, but people could be watching. I used to work at a very large, well-known um, shopping destination, and uh, I, I realized fairly quickly that they are watching my social media accounts (laughs) and I was pulled in a couple of times uh you know I'm never doing anything too racy but I was pulled in a couple of times for having opinions on certain things and and asked to it's just like what really it's just a job I have to I have to change my personal life anyway so it's that's only a, a you know a fraction of what you are going through but still I was shocked that social media has this this much effect in our lives anyway yeah, I mean, um, I find it really funny as well because my acts, like I said, are are really not sexy. They're sexy in that clothes are being removed, but they are, um, I mean, I've done versions of them where I remove less clothes and it's a children's act, like it's a magic act for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so my acts are not racy in the least. Um, I am the least racy burlesque dancer you will ever meet, but they are still too racy for an office job. I, I find that weird because uh, if you post something of yourself in a bikini, um, you oh, know, yeah. that's fine. But in, arguably, in a lot of cases, the burlesque outfit covers way more than a bikini oh, and yeah. still – I just, it's anyway, I, I'm confused about many things in this world. So let's just, we'll add that to the list. Um, so let's get back to putting together um, a, a show. You mentioned coaches and classes. Do you, when you're, when you're doing an act, I'll again, use my experience as a juggler, you're kind of in a bubble. I mean, you know what your audience is going to like and not like, um, but burlesque seems like you're even more in a bubble. And, and how do you practice and who, where do you go for guidance? 
Yeah. So many of my acts I have done with coaches or with classes. Um, I even would take some of the beginners classes just to get that group feedback. Um, And I mean, like I said, I'm only three years into this, so I'm not above a beginner's class by any means. Um, But also I'm not necessarily learning anything new in those classes. It's more for like the guidance and and the group think and, and that sort of thing. Um, But my favorite act that I do right now, um, I came up with on my own um, because like I said, you know, I'm very shy and I need a prop. I need something to do with my hands. I'm not the kind of performer that can show up on a stage and just take clothes off and be comfortable doing that. So I have quite a few props um, and the act I do right now is inspired by the performer Sally Rand and it's a bubble dance. Um, So I've got this enormous bubble um, that I carry around with me. And I have a a mini leaf blower that I also bring to all all of my performances. Um, And I blow this bubble up before I go on stage. And it's a very uh, cheeky, calming dance with this enormous bubble. The bubble's um, about 48 inches. So it's like, you know, it it covers most of your body if you want it to. Um, and it's fun. So I, to do that, I watched a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot. There's only like three videos of, of Sally Rand out there, but I watched all three videos of Sally Rand and I read a lot about her. Um, and I sort of, uh, looked at her, her body language and how she was interacting with the bubble. Um, and then I, I also, you know, I, I felt like I'd hit a plateau. I couldn't figure out what music to use, I couldn't figure out exactly what kind of robe to use with it because different types of material signify different things or different feelings in people. Um, so I did at the end call in some coaching from Joe Weldon and said, you know, I just need a pair of eyes. So it could be a coach. It could be other performers. I've done um, days where a bunch of us will just rent out a studio and sort of help each other and look at each other's acts. But it really does help when you're going over something for a few weeks to have an extra pair of eyes. Yes. They'll notice things you don't notice, how you're standing. Um, you know, many of us don't have huge mirrors in our house to perform in front of. I, I might tape a performance on my laptop and then look at it afterwards. Um, but it really does help me just to have another person there. And doing the coaching with Joe. Um, she actually brought up many things I didn't think of where, you know, I was coming on, entering the stage with a different feeling. She's like, no, 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 do like this and try this and that. Um, and now it's honestly my favorite act. It's so simple and it's fun. So I can laugh a little bit if something goes wrong. Cause it's like a funny act. Um, and it's just, you know, very classic and not many people will do a balloon act anymore. So Um, it's kind of a thing I'm becoming known for, which I love. Um, there's some people that are just sort of known, um, like there's a performer, Kita Sincere. She does a, um, a beautiful fire breathing act. Um, and there's just things people are known for. And now when someone's like, does anyone have a bubble act? I'm like the first person they think of. And that's extremely rewarding. So there's, there's that support community and there's classes and, and coaches, um, so um, w- with all that assistance and, and, and so forth, what, how long roughly is the timeline where you, you are brainstorming an act to something you can perform on stage? Maybe about a month, and it really depends. Um, I'm a procrastinator, so I will wait till I have <laughs> a date for the show and then sort of work back from there. 
Um, but it's also something that is sort of prevalent in my life. Like I, I think about this stuff a lot. I'll, you know, be out and see something and I'll think, well, that would be a great act. I should think about that for an that act. That was my next question. So you must see yeah. stuff out, out and about that inspires you or, or piques an, an idea. I mean, all the time. And, you know, my acts, like I said, have a little bit of magic in them. So I watch a lot of Penn and Teller, like too much Penn and Teller. And I'll see something that's just magic. And I'll be like, man, but that would be great if it like came out of my bra instead. Um, In fact, I have an act I don't get to do a lot because you really need a specific venue. I do it when I perform in Coney Island. Um, But I have an act where I make a card appear out of... um, uh, I'm not going to give it away, but a place you wouldn't expect the card to appear out of. Okay. Um, and it's got a lot of audience participation. So I can only do it on a stage where I can get up and down very quickly, where the audience is like right there, where the lights are up a little bit so you can see them. So the freak show stage at Coney Island is perfect for that because you're right there on the same level as the bleachers. But, you know, a bar like Drum, it doesn't really work at um, or like a Nurse Betty, like those places, it, it's not it's not fantastic. And um, but, yeah, I, I see things all the time. And then it really depends on, like, can I make that something that fits on a stage? Um, so a lot of magic, um, a lot of like children's puppetry and that kind of thing. Um, I, I do get inspiration from extremely weird places. <laughs> All right. You want to share your, your top three weird places of inspiration? Um, well, your acts, when I saw juggling, I was like, oh, I've got to like include juggling somehow. Awesome. Or I think I saw you doing something with pins and I was like, yeah, but wouldn't that be great if it was clothes instead? Um, and then figured that out. Um, uh, gosh, yeah, I think I think the card one is is probably one of the best. Uh, And then I do have an act. I don't really perform too much anymore um, because I have to carry a huge prop, but I have an act based on um, making tomato sauce and Italian nanas. Um, So it's pretty close to my heart emotionally, but uh, I've got to carry this enormous pot. So I I don't do it as much Mm -hmm. as I should. So um, I wanted to talk about the audience for a second because the audience at a burlesque show is extremely different um, from uh, a strip show because you know in in a in a strip club the audience is usually just deadpan, quiet, just you know, um, and then a burlesque show it is you know it's very supportive and loud, raucous. Um, how what? What is that the performer that is bringing that out in them or is that just something that people know? I'm at a burlesque show, so I get to be loud. Yeah, well, a lot of that is also the MC who is setting the tone for the show. But, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, Sex work is a transaction. So you are purchasing something and you know what you're going to get and there might be some pomp and circumstance around it, but you know what the end result is going to be. In burlesque, you are in a performance with a performer so you you know it's not necessarily a transaction and and people who go to a burlesque show should understand that it's also not like a sit in your seat quiet type of performance right um but also as performers we all need to really consider the consent with audience members a lot of my acts have audience participation And what I will try to do if there's a break before I go on is find an audience member ahead of time and say, I saw that you're sitting here. 
It's very close to the stage. Are you okay with being involved in my act? Would you have a problem? If I don't have an opportunity to do that, I might look at someone and like reach out to them a little bit. And if they don't respond, I'll try someone else. So I do think about audience consent because um, I know when I'm at, you know, a magic show, um, I was at Magic Castle last year and there was a, a performer who was grabbing people from the audience and they looked mortified. And I thought I also would be mortified to be pulled on stage at the Magic Castle. I don't want that at all. Um, I, I don't want anyone to feel, you know, awkward or strange. So I, I audience comes in knowing and, you know, an MC, a good MC will also lay out the rules of burlesque before a show. Um, there's a MC here in Philly, Flirt Vonnegut, and he's fantastic at that. Um, he will just lay it all out. He'll say, you know, step one, do this. Step two, if you see something you like, cheer. Um, and of course, there's different rules for how to tip in every place as well. In New York, there's a tip bucket that goes around during the show. But in Philly, they throw money at you on the stage, which was so confusing to me the first time I performed. And like a dollar bill crumpled hits me in the head. I'm like, what is this? Um, it also, you know, is the impetus for me to be like, man, I should have longer acts then if they're throwing money <laughs> while I'm performing. Um, so yeah, an MC will like lead people through that. Like, here's how to tip, here's how to be involved, sit in front if you want to be involved in the performance. Um, but it is very different because it's not transactional. You are part of the performance. That I have never seen the, the onstage tipping before. I've only been to one burlesque show where I knew I was going to a burlesque show, burlesque show. The other two, I was going to, you know, a, um, a, a cabaret type show and burlesque just happened to be one of the acts so but it, but in none of them uh, was anybody throwing any money on stage so that was um news to me yeah no it was news to me as well i i wasn't expecting it and then immediately i realized why the performer after me chose stairway to heaven and i had like a two minute sinatra song and i was like damn <laughs> should have thought that one out Oh my God. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, well, now you can Google the, you know, longest songs and uh, just build acts around those. I know. And, and actually it's not, you know, one thing that I always try to be cognizant of is, you know, kind of what we spoke about. Like I have a job. I have a good job. I'm very lucky. I'm extremely fortunate to have a job at this time. Never mind a job that pays well. So um, actually all the money that I make from burlesque, I donate and I try to donate oh. to either like a sex workers uh, collective or um, there's some artists like Jack the Stripper um, who do good work around sex workers. Um, but I try to give money back to the community. I'll buy tickets if I know there's a show that's struggling, even if I can't go. Um, but I'm I'm lucky. And I, I also consider myself a little bit of a tourist in this industry because there are a lot of people who do this full time. And many of them are, you know, really suffering right now. Stages haven't been open for a year. Yeah. They're not going to be open anytime soon. And even when they are, it's going to be very difficult. Um, I don't really have too much of an interest in performing in virtual shows because, A, I don't need the money from the show. Let someone else take that slot. And also, B, you know, the whole reason we talked about me getting into this was this the feedback from the audience and being on stage and the mm. stage presence. So virtual shows don't do too much for me um that being said i have a virtual show coming up next week so we'll see how that goes <laughs> um if someone wanted to catch that where would they go to see that 
Yeah, so it is a charity show. Um, it's run by the uh, PA Liberty Bells Pinup Club, and it's called the Jungle Bells Event. So uh, the best bet would be to go to Instagram and check out the PA Liberty Bells account. They've got all the information on that. It is December 12th at 7 p.m. Uh, and it's a charity show for distributing dignity. Um, and that's a charity that gets uh, feminine products to homeless women uh, or other women in need. So um, that's, right. you know, one of the only reasons I would do a digital show right now is to do something for people in need. Um, and then they also did a fun calendar, which like never in my life have I ever been like, you know what I want to do is be in a calendar. <laughs> Um, but I'm January, so All right. leading off the month, leading off the year. Wow, yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. So you um, you half answered my next question. So there are professional burlesque performers, like there, there's no day job. This is all they do. This is their yeah. income. Um, is that, I mean, how realistic realistic is that? I mean, is there just a wide open um, industry for that? Or is there just a select few that have gone in it whole hog and have got the years behind them? Well, there's some people like Dirty Martini, who I mentioned before, uh, who get to perform with people like Dita Von Tees, And that's, you know, that's her whole job. She opens for Dita. She um, performs in other places. That's what she does. Um, there's other people like Pearl Noir, who Pearl has created an entire business around um, feeling good about yourself and um, sort of your self-control and your aspects of, of living in a world where there is no control over anything else but yourself um, and learning how to love in that kind of atmosphere. And I find her classes actually really helpful because there is so much of like when you're doing burlesque, you're putting yourself out there and you're extremely vulnerable and you need to remember your boundaries. So I find her class really interesting. Um, and I know a lot of people, not just from burlesque, but, you know, vocalists and musicians, magicians, a lot of people find her classes very helpful. But she's created an entire industry around that. Uh, and then there's other people like Arena Canova, who now she makes costumes. Um, and of course, Catherine Delish, who makes robes and, and costumes for Dita Von Tees. Uh, she also started out as a performer. So there are people who perform mm. full time. And then there's a lot of people who have um, sort of switched it up. Uh, Jezebel Express, she is a fantastic performer. She taught at the New York School of Burlesque. And now because she has traveled the world performing, she has become a travel writer. So we've had um, oh. a lot of good coffee sessions together where we're like talking about travel and talking about performing. Um, and she is actually reconfiguring uh, a small school bus to like take a stage on the road. So, what? yeah, there's all kinds of pivots and there's all kinds of ways to be in this industry. But it, it seems pretty clear that just being a performer is not an option right now. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose even in, in good times, it's good to have multiple revenue mm -hmm. streams. And um, it's just occurring to me now the, the innumerable ways one could um, uh, dovetail and, and, and find other adjacent, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. Fitness. Streams. So yes. many, so many burlesque performers. Um, Honey Tree Evil Eye and Esme Diavril, they all run their own uh, fitness empires where they have got classes every day and you do uh, workouts with them. There's just so many ways that you could pivot. And a lot of that comes from just understanding 
the audience you command, understanding your body, understanding like how to lure people in. Um, so I think burlesque is, you know, it really does dovetail with all of that. Uh, let's talk for a second about boylesque because that was also one of my questions. Is there a, a big difference or what are the differences? There's not so much of a difference. Um, I mean, there's, there's only a few people now I'm good. Now I'm Googling while we're talking to see if I'm forgetting anyone. Um, but always, you know, the first person that always comes to mind is, um, uh, Mr. Gorgeous. He is a really good boylesque performer. Um, he's got an act where a slice of pizza comes out of his G string and just super interesting. Um, Tigger is another one. Tigger is just the most fantastic human. He does these acts that are mini theater. They're just, they're theater. Um, and it's so interesting to watch, even though he gets almost fully naked. So if you are not acclimated to bodies and you are a shy person and you are coming to a burlesque show and Tigger is performing, I always sort of, you know, prepare my friends who are a little more <laughs> sensitive where I'm like, it's a body. It's just a body. It's part of the artwork. Like, please, you know, contain yourself. Um, so I think, you know, boylesque is a little bit different in that as a society, we are so used to seeing women's bodies on command and women's bodies are sexy in their performance and their art and men, you know, it's not the same thing necessarily with a male body. Uh, so when you do see a little bit more of one, it can be a little bit jarring or it can be, um, a little bit more salacious because we're not used to seeing that, but it's art as well. Tell me about your best show ever. Mine or one I've seen? Uh, either one. What, which which story is better? Oh. <laughs> oh God! I mean, there's so many good ones. Um, and I and I have been taking notes on on virtually almost all the names you've dropped here, and I'll I'll provide links. Um, oh, good. Um, yeah. So there's a performer, Nasty Canasta. And she does these amazing shows that are these full ensemble theater acts with burlesque uh, mixed into them. And she does this show. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's like an old timey radio show where there is a narrator on stage speaking into an old radio. Um, and it's sort of like a dragnet type thing where she is a, a detective trying to figure out who who done it basically and all mm. the cast of characters doing their burlesque um, as they come out on the stage and introduce themselves. And like, you're going through the murder mystery. Um, and I just find that so endearing and so interesting. Um, and then of course, you know, I mean, I think that's probably my favorite. Um, I mean, she's just got some great characters there who um, can just really make you smile while you're watching them. But on the other side of the coin, um, I think Joe Weldon is just a master in what she does, where she has a full act where she only removes a glove. And it is so sensual and so interesting. And she is one of these performers who's been doing this for like 40 years. She was a stripper in the 80s. She's working on now, um, she's got a fellowship, I think with the library, the New York Public Library. She's writing a book about sex worker style. And she's got this wealth of knowledge that she brings to her acts. So she has a birthday show every year at Coney Island. And that is the one show that if I don't feel well, if I don't want to go out, whatever, 
it's the one show that I will always go to every year. All right. Um, so uh, I'm just guessing now, but I hopefully I'm right. Burlesque seems to be one of the most inclusive, encouraging disciplines out there. And uh, which brings me to my next question. If, if someone were to be considering getting into burlesque is age, experience, um, you know, body type, any of that is, is, is any of that like limiting or can you be like 60 years old and decide you want to do it? No, I think everyone should try it at least once. Um, we've had people in classes that are 60 and we have people in classes who don't have, you know, a stereotypical stripper body. I don't have a stereotypical stripper body and I do it. Um, you've got seen, people, most of the people I've seen don't have stereotypical stripper bodies. Right, right. Yeah. Kind of like the I whole mean, thing I thought it was, or at least part of it. It is. There's a little bit of a celebration of different types of bodies. And there's also a little bit of, you know, you should see what other bodies look like. Um, right. which is part of the reason why I enjoy it. Cause I don't look like a stereotypical stripper body. And yet I'm like, Hey, this is what I look like. Probably I look like a lot of you out there. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of just seeing more of what other people look like. Um, and I think a lot of people also think of it as a little bit of like a pushback at the sex industry where everyone looks the same and changes their bodies to look the same. Um, whereas, you know, if you think about the origins of burlesque way, way back in vaudeville and places like Minsky's, people didn't necessarily all look the same. There was an aspect of being a showgirl, but it was about like who can work with the comedian, who can be there fastest, who can tap dance quickest, who can create an act. Um, and, you know, people like Mae West, who were just, you know, tiny, but funny, like that was okay. Um, so I think there's still always that element of that in burlesque. Um, and if someone is new and shy, I'd say one of the best ways to get into it is to just take a class. And there are virtual classes right now. So the New York School of Burlesque still has their class um, and it's virtual and you can take it. Pearl Noir has her classes um, with Heartless Malone. Heartless Malone does a uh, it's called liquid motion class, uh, which is a lot of floor work and movement. It's super hard. I took one. I didn't know I was going to have to like do a backflip and then had to excuse myself for the rest of the day because I hurt myself. Um, but it's all fun. It's all a lot of fun. Uh, and this feels like the type of thing that one can find in just about any mid-sized to large city, uh, a burlesque class. Yeah. I mean, the good thing right now, though, is that since all of them are virtual, um, I would go for the, the biggest and best ones because, mm -hmm. you know, you have access to you don't need to be there in person. So definitely the New York School of Burlesque. And then there's one in Milan. I am really blanking on their name right now. But if you went on Instagram and search Milan Burlesque, they come up first. Um, and they're also doing virtual classes. So there's quite a few people out there that are the best and you can access them. But yeah, when we get back to normal and you can go in your, your cities, there's one here in Philadelphia, there's one in Chicago. Uh, I know Seattle has an enormous burlesque scene um, and across the world. They're all over Italy. I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> right. I was going to ask you. So in Europe, I mean, People of all shapes and sizes, men and women, are naked everywhere. And I just, I just found it weird when you said that Milan has a burlesque uh, class, and I was like, is it? It's just a different atmosphere entirely. I'm just trying to picture that. 
I mean, the thing to be totally blunt about some of the Italian classes and, and Italy hosts one of the largest burlesque um, uh, gatherings in the entire world in Lake Como, but they are not very size inclusive or um, mm. very inclusive to many people at all. I have a friend, I'm not going to embarrass her by giving her name, but she is um, a larger woman and has a beautiful act, a very sexy scintillating act. And they put her in the comedy section simply because she's a larger woman. Mm. So um, it is different over there. It's a different scene. Um, a lot of them will not accept you if you do not look the showgirl look, which is really disappointing. But I think that's changing right now. Um, in Europe, there still are a lot of, to be frank, quite racist acts. Um, I know that's changing, but there was a, a history of like the traditional stereotypical oriental type act. Um, there were a lot of like riffing off of Josephine Baker type acts that were just in poor taste, not an homage, but just seriously poor taste. So the European scene is is drastically different. I think the U.S. scene and in Canada even are much more open. Um, and there's even some in Brazil that I think are a little bit more open. Um but it's different, you know, it, it is a different scene, but they do have classes and things worth learning from as well. All right. Wow. That is, uh, that is not what I would have guessed at all about the European burlesque <laughs> scene, but it's good to know. Um, any closing words of advice for people who are thinking about getting into it or thinking of, of going to a show, virtual or otherwise? Yeah. So I've got, um, I wanted to make sure to mention the three books that I love that are sort of my favorite books. I've got them here. Um, so the Burlesque Handbook by Joe Weldon is the best book that you can get if you're thinking of getting into burlesque. And it's actually got a really interesting foreword by uh, comedian Margaret Cho. So oh. Margaret Cho is the last person I would think of as a person who needed to learn burlesque. <laughs> um, but she has a whole forward about how taking burlesque classes helped her in her comedy and in her stage presence, which I think just reinforces the fact that you don't need to take classes to be good at stripping. You can take this to be good at other um, aspects of work that, you know, you need to command a performance. So that book is extremely helpful. There's another one uh, by Leslie Zemeckis, Behind the Burly Cue, and it's a history of burlesque going all the way back to vaudeville and Minsky's uh, and comedians and Nickelodeons. And it's a, a really good look at that. Um, and then not so much about burlesque, but also about old Hollywood. Um, anything by Karina Longworth. She has a podcast, um, but also her book, Seduction, Sex, Lies and Stardom in Howard Hughes's Hollywood is a very, very good book about old uh, Hollywood and, and showgirls and that sort of thing. So I would say, um, think about the the history of burlesque because it is so rich and so deep and you're not the first person to do anything everything right. you want to do has been done a million times so you don't need to reinvent the wheel um yeah and again i think you know look up um the new york school of burlesque on the internet and you know on instagram if you just search for the hashtag burlesque it is uh seriously um uh, tailored right now. Instagram does not let a lot of that show through, but you'll be able to see the different schools and the different performers. And so many of them are offering one-on-ones right now that it's a great time to just see if you have an interest. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Well, there's another lockdown idea for... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I, I've been if you're done with projects. your sourdough, if your sourdough <laughs> starter has run its course and we're not doing victory gardens anymore and you've, you've done all your crossword puzzles. All right. I've forgotten about sourdough. This is that's how long this pandemic has been. I forgot all about the sourdough meme. All right. Well, well, and Marie, uh, it's it's been an hour. And so I will uh, shut this down. But I'm so happy that you I, I learned so much. I, I, I knew I didn't know much in the beginning, but uh, I, I, I learned a lot more than I thought I would. And I again, I appreciate you getting on uh, with me on a, on a Sunday. Uh, much appreciated. Sure. Thank you so much. I'm glad to spread a little bit of the knowledge and just change the stereotype a little bit as well. And that again was Anne-Marie Dooling, uh, font of information as always. Uh, we uh, covered a lot of topics and name dropped a lot of people and things in this episode. Everything has been linked to in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. And with that, I will remind you, you have been listening to the Life Pedersen Makes a Podcast podcast. Thank you for clicking and I hope you'll click again.